welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 112. My name is Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. This week I've been playing Persona 5 Royal since it recently came to Xbox Game Pass and also I've been checking out Signalis, Marvel Snap and Wild Frost 2. Finally, I've been back to one of my favourite games of all time with The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. So this show is jam-packed full. Now it's got recent games, classic games and hidden gems, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Yeah, I'm good this week and it has been a really big week for Sony, with the reviews of God of War Ragnarok hitting and it's currently sitting at 94 on Metacritic. I think that is from 160 reviews. So it's clearly doing very, very well. I cannot wait to get my hands on the game. And it should be arriving in the post this week. So I'm going to be sure to bring you my review of that one on the next episode of This Week in Video Games. Well, it sounds like God of War Ragnarok is not only as good as 2018's God of War, but even better. I really can't wait to play it and share my thoughts with you next time on the podcast. Well, Sony also unveiled details about PSVR 2 this week including the price and the release date. So given we are in a cost-of-living crisis at the moment, with fuel, inflation, food, and literally everything going up in price, you know, how has the price tag gone down with fans? Well, I'm going to share that info with you later on in the show. Well, before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over there on Apple Podcasts. Really help get the more eyes on the podcast. Now, I do have a link in the podcast description, so if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out the review on a future episode of the This Week in Video Games podcast. Well, This Week in Video Games is also Patreon-supported, so check out the right tier for you over at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games, and you can get early access to the podcast, exclusive bonus content, get your name read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast and YouTube videos, plus much, much more too. Now, all proceeds go back into This Week in Video Games to make this show better, plus the creation of more shows in the future. You know, things like server costs, audio and video equipment, software and editing. I would love to invest more in This Week in Video Games, and that is only going to be possible with support from you, the This Week in Video Games community. So do check out patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games today. Well, that is it for my waffly intro, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week has been a busy week in gaming, so Persona 5 Royale recently came to Xbox Game Pass, Nintendo Switch, and Steam, and I heard Kirk, Maddie, and Jason talk about it on Triple Click as another excellent podcast about video games. So I have heard about Persona, but this, Persona 5, is a fantastic JRPG, so one that the Triple Click team recently put on their best games to playlist, so I simply had to try it. I'm going to bring you my thoughts on that one first up in the show. Well, Signalis is a survival horror game, reminded me of movies like Moon and Solaris. It's an isolated horror tale, and definitely one that is worth trying again on Xbox Game Pass, so if you like my review, I'd recommend checking it out. I've also caught the card game bug, so Marvel Snap, is a free-to-play mobile card game from the creators of Hearthstone, so with very little barriers to entry and glowing reviews everywhere, I had to give it a try. Also, I've been playing Wild Frost, and this is a new one coming out from Chucklefish very, very soon, 
and they very kindly provided me with a preview demo build, having recently been showcased during Steam's Next Fest. Well, finally, this one has been a passion project for me. I've been back to The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past and rolled credits on that, and that means this year I've completed The Legend of Zelda, The Adventure of Link, and A Link to the Past, you know, all building up to The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, coming in May 2023. You know, while I do enjoy Destiny these days, Zelda is definitely my first love in video games, so it's been an absolute treat going back to the early games, and I'll bring you my belated review of that later on in the show. Without further delay, let's get into my review of Persona 5 Royal. Well, Persona 5 Royal is now available on multiple platforms including Nintendo Switch, Xbox and Steam. If you haven't played Persona 5 Royal, then now is the perfect time to do so. This is a massive 100 plus hour JRPG, however it manages to maintain a great pace throughout. It's always entertaining and probably available on your system of choice. Originally released back in 2017, Persona 5 is a stylish adventure, manages to tackle big themes with its large cast of characters, and while the game isn't perfect with some small gameplay issues, the game length also come into question. Those two things aside, this is a fantastic game and one of the best JRPGs out there on the market. Persona 5 Royal introduces new content on top of already huge Persona 5, although it's most likely you won't see the new content until you're roughly 100 hours into the game. Well, you play as a Japanese high school student, Joker, who's recently had to transfer to a new school because he's been accused of a crime. There's plenty to do, travelling to school, showing up to lessons on time, making friends but also battle demons in the minds of evil adults who look to make the students' lives a misery. So if you like anime, then you're probably going to like Persona 5, as it takes a very similar approach with its cutscenes and gameplay. The opening of the game sets the tone and a very high bar for what is to come later. Now we start near the conclusion of the story and sit through flashbacks with Joker being interviewed by the cops. Joker's had to move to Tokyo to live out a year of probation, under the watchful eye of a new parental guardian. Now, on the face of it, Persona 5 is all about friendship, battling evil monsters in people's minds, but it's also about rebellion, politics, and social change. Joker starts out at school alone, although it doesn't take too long to collect a bunch of friends, and each friend discovers they have a similar power, the ability to enter a parallel world known as the Metaverse and summon powerful allies called Personas. The biggest change with Persona 5 related to the previous games is the main cast embrace their abilities and personas rather than use them sparingly. Joker and his team take on the name The Phantom Thieves and enter the metaverse to steal hearts, meaning they can affect change in the real world versions of people they battle. The Phantom Thieves want to make their school and ultimately the world a better place by changing what they see in terms of the evil adults and what they're doing. It's an interesting commentary from the perspective of teenagers and how they view the world. Many of the adults in the game, they're really, really awful people, and Joker and his crew want to make positive change throughout their adventures in this metaverse. Persona 5's main story is going to bring you along for the ride. It's fast-paced, filled with style, and it's a visual and audible feast for the eyes and the ears. Persona 3 and 4 had excellent side quests and stories with a range of characters. Well, that is all here too in Persona 5, as the developer does an excellent job in fleshing out the world throughout your adventure. 
characters. They are complex. They drink too much. They show their desperation. And also they're into politics. And it's more than your standard run-of-the-mill video game. Turn-based battles are the main combat mechanic, but you're going to get bonuses and other benefits by levelling up your relationships with friends and also other contacts in the game. They're called confidants in this game, and improving your relationships with the confidants allows you to unlock bonuses that improve your turn-based battles. For example, one confidant will unlock the ability to swap in and out party members during battle, while others buff your health and also your skill points. Well, Persona is a product of Shin Megami Tensei, which had a reputation for difficulty in the RPG space. Persona 5 builds on this and isn't a walk in the park. However, Atlas have added difficulty options so you can play through on easy, medium and also hard modes. If you're finding things too tricky, you can just bump down the difficulty levels to help you get through the game. Now, I think we're long past where people judge on that, or at least I think we should be anyway. You know, there's another mode too called Safety. So in this mode, enemies are much easier and provide more rewards for beating them, including gold and experience points. So if you die in combat, you can immediately come back without losing any progress. This is great if you simply want to enjoy the story in Persona 5. Dungeons are definitely one of the biggest highlights in Persona 5. They're no longer randomised. Each palace is specifically designed and has a series of challenges that includes puzzles and combat. Now, it used to be a chore to get through the dungeons in Persona 3 and 4, but they've vastly improved the experience here in Persona 5. They're simply now a joy to play through. The old randomised dungeons still do exist as an option, but you can't return to the main story dungeons once they've been complete. So if you want to grind them, you can do so in Mementos. This is a space to search for loot and complete side missions, including your side missions you get sent on by your confidence, to increase your rep with them. Well, the battle system is good and it's fun. It's big and it's bombastic. And it's good because you're going to be doing a lot of it in this 100-hour-plus game. Combat is faster than it's been before, plus you always have the fast-forward button if you find it going on for too long. Combat simply looks absolutely fantastic, especially given it's a turn-based RPG. The animations and the style are there for all to see. When you pull off a full-team combo to smash your opponent, there's almost nothing more satisfying than that. Well, Persona 5 Royal introduces a couple of new confidants, including gymnast Kasumi and counsellor Takuto, so Kasumi is the playable party member, although you can't access her until the third semester. Takuto is introduced a little earlier, just after the first dungeon in the game. You can visit the council to meet them. So while your visits in this part of the game are optional, your party members will go, and it's an interesting insight into the other player's mental health throughout the game, plus another tricky topic that Persona 5 manages to execute very, very well. There's an additional plot in the third term, plus you've got a new palace, a final boss, and it all fits great into Persona 5. The story is quite similar to what has come before, however, if you are a fan of Persona 5, simply spending more time in the world is going to be a treat. Atlas have also improved other parts of the game, including the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, previous scenes that didn't have voice acting and now fully voice acted, confidence call you to hang out, helping you raise your rank with them faster, and you've got quality of life improvements too, including improvements to dungeons, You've got automatically reloading after encounters, and that makes combat much smoother, faster, and more fun. Overall, Persona 5 Royale is a huge game. It's full of great characters, it's got fantastic music, stylish action, everything feels well designed from the UI, the characters, and the environments. You know, it's a massive game, 120 hours plus, so get settled in for weeks and potentially months of gameplay. 
Now, Persona 5 Royale is now available on nearly all platforms, and it's perfect to play in short bursts on the Steam Deck or on longer stints via Xbox Game Pass. So the game was developed by Atlas, it was published by Atlas, it's available now on Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox Series S and X, Xbox, Cl Xbox Cloud Gaming, also available on PC too, and its original release date was the 31st of October 2019. Well that is it for my review of Persona 5 Royal, so really really fantastic stuff, I'd heard a lot about this game, but never really dove into it, but as I say, now is the perfect time to dive in, as it's available on loads of platforms. Well that is it for now for Persona 5 Royale, but next up, let's go over to my review of Signalis. Signalis is an excellent horror survival game inspired by Resident Evil and Silent Hill, plus also movies like Moon. It's a game that's going to extract emotion from you in the best possible way, and today I'm going to run through all the reasons why you should play it. When Signalis you play as an android called Elster, you wake up in a rundown facility and quickly find out all the other androids have been killed, plus some of their corpses are reanimating and trying to attack you. It's a game about isolation with a pinch of Alice through the looking glass, occasionally crawling through holes in the ground to reveal new play spaces. This is survival horror with a pixel art look and feel from a semi-top-down view. It's your job to search for clues, meaning you've got to open drawers, read posters, gather scraps of paper and photographs to piece together the puzzles. You can pick up weapons, which are going to be useful in taking on the reanimated killer robots. So Signalis has a Sega Saturn or an original PlayStation vibe going on with its graphics. While it's not going to compete with the likes of Callisto Protocol in the graphics department, it certainly will compete when it comes to the horror and the tension. This isn't in-your-face or jump-scare horror, although there are a few moments. It's a slow-build, constant-tension kind of horror, and I'm all here for it. The environment designer is expertly done here, even behind the minimal pixel artwork. The use of lighting and shadows reinforce the horror, keeping you on your toes as you slowly walk from room to room. The surveillance cameras follow you as you walk into a room, making you wonder if they're automated or if someone is watching you. The environment is as much a character as the one you control, and I'll be honest, it doesn't like you and it doesn't want you there. So this is a real retro game, first achieved through the graphics but also by the equipment in the game. There's videotapes lying around the place, plus you've got the weapons looking like old school revolvers. Now, early on, you get a radio that can be tuned to various frequencies to receive messages. It feels like a sci-fi movie that was crafted in the 70s or the 80s, similar to the future that Ridley Scott created with the original Alien movie. The audio is equally as good at reinforcing the sense of tension as the graphics the clicking and the whirring of this broken down old facility. There's a score done by 1000 Eyes and Cicada Sirens, also classical music in here too, including Tchaikovsky, and a particularly terrifying version of Swan Lake. You know, it fits the moment absolutely beautifully, as does all the music and the sound work in the game. Signalis is all about the slow build, the feeling of dread, the impending doom, the quick cuts and the flashes of memory. There's large parts of the game where you're going to be wandering around, gathering resources and clues, trying to find the solutions to puzzles. 
You're going to be trying to find a key for locked doors or a passcode for a keypad. That sense of fear never really leaves you, always being reinforced by the environment or the music. As with other survival horror games, you need to keep a close eye on ammunition. So don't be wasteful when it comes to your ammunition. It's a rare currency you won't want to waste, and it could mean the difference between life and death. Enemies seem to come back to life randomly. One minute you're going to be walking by with a seemingly dead robot at your feet. Next minute they're going to be up and coming at you. So be careful and be afraid. Signalis does a really good job of keeping you on your toes at all times, not only through the gameplay, but with the cutscenes as well. You're going to be walking along, then all of a sudden a flashback will occur, and those dreamlike sequences tend to blend into real life. It's quite hard to tell the difference between what is real and what is a dream. There's also another layer to Signalis which keeps you searching for the truth, keeps you coming back from more time and time again. It's almost like you're on an acid trip trying to keep a grip on reality but things are no longer in your control and you're just slipping away. Overall, Signalis is an excellent survival horror game. At first, it may seem simple, puzzles to solve, the leads to follow, but I'd recommend sticking with it until the end. This is about facing your fears and standing up for yourself in the face of terror. There's also a decent buzz about this game, and for good reason, I definitely recommend you give it a try. Well, the game was developed by Rose Engine Games. It's published by Humble Bundle and Humble Games and Playism. It's available for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Xbox Series S and X. Also available on PC too. As I mentioned before, I played it on Xbox Game Pass. So if you got that service, you can now go and play it. It was originally released on the 27th of October, 2022. Well, that is it for my review of Signalis. Really, really excellent game. Really enjoyed it and definitely recommend you give it a try. But next up, Sony was back this week and there's some big news about the PSVR 2. We got price and a release date. So let's go over to that press release from Sony and see what's going on. Well, Sony say about the PSVR 2... Pre-orders for the PSVR 2 headset, games and PSVR 2 Sense controller and the charging station are coming later this month. Over the past several months, we've introduced the PlayStation VR 2 and provided glimpses into the next generation of virtual reality gaming. It's going to allow you to escape into new worlds while feeling a groundbreaking sense of immersion. Well, today I'm really pleased to announce that the PlayStation VR 2 is officially launching on February the 22nd, 2023 with a PlayStation VR 2 Sense Controller charging station designed specifically for the PSVR Sense Controller also will launch on the same day. So here is the PSVR 2 lineup and recommended retail pricing for each product, and availability in each country is subject to local import regulations. So the PlayStation VR 2 is $549, €599, Euros, and £529, and 74,980 yen. So that is the recommended retail price, including tax for Great Britain, Europe, and Japan. So includes the PSVR 2 headset, PSVR Sense controller, and also the stereo headphones. Then we got the PSVR 2 Horizon Call of the Mountain bundle. That is $599, €649, Euros, and £569. That includes a PlayStation Store voucher for Horizon Call of the Mountain the PSVR 2 headset, PSVR 2 sense controllers, and the stereo headphones. Also got the PSVR 2 sense controller charging station, 
That's 49 dollars, 49 euros, and 39 pounds. And players can charge the PSVR2 sense controller through a simple click-in design without having to connect to a PS5 console, freeing up the console's USB ports. Standalone software titles, including Horizon Call of the Mountain, will also be available for pre-orders starting this month. More details will be provided at a later date. So during this initial launch phase for our next-gen headset, players in the US, UK, France, Germany, Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg will initially be able to pre-order PlayStation VR 2 solely through PlayStation's online store at direct.playstation.com and pre-orders will begin on November the 15th, so that is only a few days away, and players may begin to register for pre-orders starting today. Orders from direct.playstation.com for PlayStation VR 2 headsets and bundles will ship throughout the week of launch. In other markets, PlayStation VR 2 will be sold at participating retailers with pre-orders beginning on November the 15th, information will be provided through participating local retailers in those regions. Well, the PlayStation VR 2 Sense technology includes key features that enable unique gameplay experiences, such as headset feedback, eye tracking, 3D audio, and the adapted triggers and haptic feedback from the PSVR 2 Sense controllers. Together with the compatible games, they will captivate players' senses and offer an incredible deep feeling of immersion. Additionally, with enhanced headset-based controller tracking and high-fidelity visuals in 4000 by 2040 HDR video format, that's 2000 by 2040 per eye, PSVR 2 adds a true next-generation gaming experience for all players to enjoy. And as Sony say, we've created the PSVR 2 headset with comfort in mind, and a slightly slimmer and lighter design compared to the previous headset. Also included an integrated vent for airflow, and a lens adjustment dial for more customised feel. We hope players will enjoy this new design. Well, really, really interesting stuff there. So it's going to be expensive. So for just the console, this one is coming in at $549, €599, Euros, or £529. So that is really, really expensive. It's more than a PS5. I'd love to hear what you think. So let me know on Patreon.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast. Would really, really love to hear from you and get your thoughts on a future episode of This Week in Video Games. Well, that is all for now for PSVR 2, but next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, number 10 this week, it's LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. That is up four places from last week's number 14. At number 9, we've got Splatoon 3, down two places from last week's number 7. At number 8, it's Nintendo Switch Sports, up one place from last week's number 9. At number 7, it's Mario and Rabid Spark of Hope, down four places from last week's number 3. At number 6, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, down two places from last week's number 4. At number 5, it's Gotham Knights, down three places from last week's number 2. At number 4, it's Horizon Forbidden West, up four places from last week's number 8. At number 3, it's Bayonetta 3, that one is a new entry. At number 2, it's FIFA 23. And then new in at number 1, it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. So congrats to the team there for that number 1. Well, that's it for now for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's check out my review of Marvel Snap. Marvel Snap is a mobile card game that has managed to reduce the complexity and distill it into micro bursts of distilled fun. 
Now, the game is getting a wide range of praise from all angles and for good reason too. This is short, sharp and snappy and loads of fun. Today I'm going to run through some of the reasons why you should be checking out Marvel Snap. Well, Marvel Snap has some pedigree behind it, combining the potentially winning formula of the Marvel catalogue of characters with the brains behind Hearthstone, one of the most successful online card games we've seen. Second Dinner, who previously worked with Blizzard, managed to take what's great about Hearthstone and remove the layers of complexity to create a simple to understand card game while retaining just enough complexity to keep the players engaged. Now, one of the features you're going to notice immediately are how fast the games are. Each game only takes six turns per player, meaning games are fast and snackable, and you can play a quick game of Marvel Snap when you get a quick moment or a break. Sitting on the bus, waiting in a queue, or laying on the sofa at the end of a busy day, Marvel Snap is going to fit into your life very easily, and the goal of each game is to get as much power as possible in three available slots, and each turn you place a card in one of these slots. At the end of six turns, the player who controls two out of three slots wins the game. The three slots or locations are randomly generated and include the biggest and best locations from Marvel. Each location has various power-ups or modifiers, and the locations are revealed one by one from left to right. You know, with the modifiers having the potential to turn the tide quite dramatically, this adds a layer of excitement and also randomness to the games, meaning you can either come from behind and win, or have victory snatched away from you at the last minute. So locations are from the greatest hits of Marvel, so we've got New York, Dr. Banner's Lab, Wanda's Hometown, and many, many more. The cards are focused on the heroes themselves, ranging from big hitters like Hulk, Spider-Man, Iron Man, to lesser-known heroes like Agatha Harkness, Elektra, and also the Green Goblin too. Most cards have power-ups, usually related to the powers of the superheroes themselves. Iron Man, for example, doubles all the powers at the location you set him down. Hulk comes in with a huge amount of power, and Star-Lord score doubles if your opponent puts a card down in the same lane. Now, many of the cards have good powers, and they feel like they were designed with the hero in mind. There are a few cards that feel like a mechanic was designed first, and then an assigned and then assigned to a hero, but mostly it is the right way round. The locations and the hero powers can have a dramatic effect on the game. For example, one location extends the match to seven turns rather than six, and one location promotes the lowest score possible, and you're going to get bonuses for predicting where your opponent will place cards and many, many more entertaining modifiers. Now, the games are mostly quick and similar, but it's nice for these wildcards to appear every now and again to mix things up. So Marvel Snap has managed to strip things back to the core gameplay, while at the same time offer up enough randomness so your matches don't feel the same. The three locations in the middle offer enough variety to keep things fresh each time, and having three random variables in the game keeps you thinking, and you have to react and adapt your plans very, very quickly. Now, similar card games have you building your deck and then carrying out a tried and tested strategy, and while you can do this in Marvel Snap, the random locations mean you have to switch things up often. It's a smart addition, while seemingly simple, offers up a decent amount of variety. Pace and progression are important aspects of the game. The matches, they're very quick, sometimes four or five minutes long, meaning if you lose, it's not really too much of a problem. You're going to be able to hop back in into another match, and maybe you're going to do better next time. The first few games you play will be against bots, you know, a standard feature for online multiplayer games these days, but get those games out of the way and you're going to be playing against real opponents going head-to-head with the prize of being rank-up points. So for this, you're going to need Cosmic Cubes, 
and you're going to need 10 to level up a rank. And at any point during a match, your opponents can snap and double the amount bet on yourself to win. If you snap and your opponent doesn't, then you're playing for four cubes. If both of you snap, then it's eight, meaning there's an element of bluffing comes into it. If you don't feel that confident, you can retreat, although you will end up with egg on your face. If you do retreat, you're going to end up saving some cubes rather than playing out a match you were destined to lose anyway. Now, helping with the pace of the games of the smaller decks, got 12 cards in total. Hearthstone, as a comparison, had 30, so less cards definitely helps with the onboarding process for new players, as well as wrapping your brain around the complexities of the individual cards and their relation to each other. So as you play and unlock new cards, you can manage your deck in the deck building section, swapping out old cards for new ones if you prefer. You can also build dedicated decks for different playstyles. Less cards in a deck makes creating and managing decks simpler and easier, rather than other card games I've played that require much more attention to detail. Regarding the progression, you can upgrade your cards through the upgrade materials earned by playing. For example, a card will start out like a regular card, you can upgrade it to then you can upgrade it to break out the frame with a very satisfying frame break notification. You've also got a similar upgrade including 3D, a shiny animated background, and also other effects. And upgrading your cards earns you a collection rank, which then you can progress along a battle pass-like structure with upgrade materials as rewards. Plus, you've also got new cards as well. This progression system is the core loop of Marvel Snap. Now keep playing to upgrade the cards, collect new cards swap them back into your deck and play more matches. So it's really streamlined, but with enough endorphin creating moments to get you coming back for more. Well, this is a free to play mobile game, so there is a certain amount of monetization, although it's probably the least amount of egregious monetization I've seen in a game like this. You can't outright buy all the best cards. You can only buy a certain number of upgrades per day, making that a very limited way of leveling up. The main benefits of spending money at the moment are due to the variations of the cards, and collecting different art styles. There's also a season pass to buy, which will give you new cards, credits and bonuses for completing bounties. The season pass is very generous with its rewards and you manage to level up nice and quickly, so it doesn't really feel like a predatory feature in the game. Normally, I'm not a fan of mobile games at all. I steer well clear of them. I've never really been into digital card games either. Despite all these facts, I'm really enjoying Marvel Snap and I find myself playing when I have a few moments throughout the day. The games are short, they're quick and they're entertaining, and if you've got a commute then this is simply going to pair perfectly well with that, although it equally fits into relaxing on the couch or a quick game before bed. I've gone from knowing nothing about the game to playing it most days per week, plus it's free to download on iOS and Android, I would recommend giving it a try. The game is developed by Second Dinner Studios, it's published by Newverse, it's available on iOS, Android and PC, originally it was released on the 9th of June 2022. Well that is it for now for Marvel Snap, but joining up with that card game theme, next up I've got another one. This one was recently promoted during Steam's Next Fest. This one is a new one from Chucklefish. This one is Wild Frost. So Wild Frost is a roguelike card game set in a cold and snowy world. Recently featured during Nintendo Indie World Showcase, plus it was part of Steam's Next Fest, and Chucklefish were very kind to provide access to the demo outside of this window, so today I'm going to bring my first impressions of Wild Frost. 
So Wild Frost is a card game set in deep winter. You've got frost and snow everywhere. So it's a roguelike, and you've been going through multiple runs and playthroughs of the game. Each run, you battle monsters and try to forge a path through them to get to the Sun Temple. Now, get to the Sun Temple, and the world will defrost and peace will be restored to the land. Well, hopefully, anyway. So when you start your first run, you've got to select your leader and a starting pet. Protecting your leader is of utmost importance. Usually means placing unfortunate others in their way. Leaders are randomly generated and have different skills and stats related to which tribe they came from, plus they influence the starting deck of cards. As you progress through Wild Frost, you're going to unlock new decks from other tribes, and you can also switch things up as well. Melting your way through monsters is no easy task. Enemies are plentiful, and you're going to have to collect friends along the way in forms of other card companions, slowly developing a card deck strong enough to take on the toughest of enemies. As you make your way through the battleground, you can select which path to tread, with different paths giving you cards, loot, and upgrades. It reminded me of the overworld in Super Mario World on the SNES, although here, once you've gone down a path, there is no going back. As you make your progress and win battles, you can upgrade and customise your cards. This includes hanging charms on your cards to give them an extra edge in battle. Charms enhance card powers and unlock other bonuses as well. You've also got an element of town building to the game, which is very unexpected and enjoyable at the same time. Snowdwell is your home, and you can develop your town, build new shops and vendors, which helps unlock new cards. Also, find new tribes and take part in events, plus you've got daily challenges to take on. Win matches and collect resources to develop Snowdwell, and open up more options to help you in card games. You know, the loop is really, really simple, but it's been implemented in a very charming and effective way. Car battles aren't simple either. It's going to take all your strategic thinking to take on these tough enemies and get into that Sun Temple. This will mean picking up new cars, customising your deck, including adding elemental combinations and understanding, and using the counter system. Well, the game is being developed by Will Lewis and Gazitta. So Will has previously worked on a roguelike platformer, Cave Blazers, and Gazitta worked on Forager. So they've decided to come together and release Wild Frost. You know, from what I've played so far, it's really, really good fun. I'm really looking forward to the full release. Yeah, the artwork is fantastic and the animations throughout are really, really well done. Yeah, as a fan of looters, you know, like Destiny and Overwatch, I love it when you have to smash the ice and pick up new cards and open the loot crates. The card game looks relatively simple at first, but don't be fooled. This is a tough game as enemies tend to overwhelm your leader quite quickly. You know, it's going to take me a while to get used to the strategy of the game. However, if you're a card game veteran, you may find it much easier than I did. Now, Wild Frost is being developed for Nintendo Switch and PC. Hopefully, it's going to be available on Steam Deck, as I can imagine putting many hours into it over the Christmas holidays, relaxing on the couch playing a few rounds of Wild Frost. Now, if you're interested in the game, check out the Discord to chat with the developers, give at Wild Frost Game a follow on Twitter, or you can join the Wild Frost subreddit. You know, finally, be sure to wishlist the game on Steam to get notified as soon as it drops. Well, the game is being developed by Gazitta and Deadpan Games, published by Chucklefish. It's going to be released on PC and Nintendo Switch, and its intended release date is winter 2022. Well, that was my initial impressions of Wild Frost. I think it's really, really fun. It's got all the charm, animation, audio, and, you know, really, really enjoyable gameplay as well that you'd expect from a Chucklefish published game. So thank you again to Chucklefish for providing that extended demo Really, really enjoyed my time with it and can't wait for the full release. 
Well, that is it for the moment for Wild Frost. But next up, I'm diving back into one of the best games of my childhood. Actually, this is one of the best games ever. This is A Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. When people talk about the best games ever made, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past is never far away from that conversation. Now, I played through this game when it first came out. I've now gone back to it recently to see if it holds up. And I'm happy to report it's still magical, full of wonder, secrets to uncover and great characters, and it's still an absolute gem of a game. One of my favourite Legend of Zelda games in the series. The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, originally released in 1991. I still remember playing through this game with my childhood friend Jamie. It is House One Summer. I believe the game released in Japan first, then came out in the US and Europe later. But Jamie had a Super Famicom, and we could play Scott US Imports. It was a great summer. Two Legend of Zelda fans playing through this brand new adventure in Hyrule. This was a huge step up from the Zeldas we played through before on the NES. It was different, and we knew we were about to embark on a great journey. A Link to the Past was the game that would almost be the template for great Zelda games until Link broke into the 3D realm with Ocarina of Time. Now, Link's Awakening, The Minish Cap, A Link Between Worlds, Spirit Tracks, among others, would all try to capture what made A Link to the Past great. You know, having played through A Link to the Past in the last couple of weeks, I think it's fair to say these games, while good in their own right, never really matched up to the great heights they reached in A Link to the Past. I'm a big Legend of Zelda fan, I'm probably biased towards the series, but today I want to try and describe why I like it, and why it's had such a profound impact on my gaming history, and why to this day I eagerly await the next Legend of Zelda game. And at the time of making this review, we're just under 200 days away from Tears of the Kingdom for Nintendo Switch. It's the sense of adventure, the weapons, exploring Hyrule, the dungeons, secrets, plus also A Link to the Past has something many Zelda games don't have, that is the light world and the dark world. Well, first of all, I want to talk about the weapons. So here we have an array of weaponry. Many classics are introduced. Link's inventory for A Link to the Past is huge when compared to previous Zelda games. So we start out with a simple lamp, and then we get our first sword and shield pretty early on in Hyrule Castle. And as we progress through the game and the dungeons, we gather loads more items. We've got bow and arrows, the hookshot, bombs, the magic hammer, various medallions that act as attack techniques, often destroying everything on the screen, but also allow us entry into the later dungeons. We got the ice rod and the fire rod, meaning Link has a wide variety of attacking options in the game. Something that is missing from Breath of the Wild are the unique items in the dungeons. You know, I know that Breath of the Wild was the series' attempt at switching up the formula, because the Zelda audience had grown tired of the series' traditions, including items, dungeons, and a linear path through the game. A Link to the Past represents the start of this journey, ultimately where it ended with Skyward Sword. So while the formula changed somewhat when we went into the 3D realm with Ocarina of Time, Legend of Zelda stayed true to the formula perfected in A Link to the Past. The items also make the world feel alive and magical. We've got Zora's flippers that we acquire from King Zora, albeit for a mighty price of rupees. Classic items like the Power Glove or Upgraded Titan's Mitt allow us to pick up heavy objects and remove them from our path. We've got the Pegasus Boots, probably the best item in the game, allowing us to traverse the environment nice and quickly. 
We've got the mirror shield, the red and blue armor upgrades, and also loads more too. The magic powder is an item I remember being totally mesmerized as by a kid. You can sprinkle some magic dust on something and it will turn into something else. I didn't realize back then this was a useful tactic for creating fairies in dungeons, but you live and learn. So it's good to know this old dog can still learn some new tricks in a 30 year old Zelda game. The items are useful for getting around Hyrule itself, but there's also some great lore in there too. So getting the flute is a particularly heartbreaking story, but you have to travel to and from the dark world, talking to a character who once played the flute. So it's buried underground, you're given a shovel to dig it up, you're asked to play a song one last time, before he fades away into the background. There's another similar story of reuniting the two blacksmith brothers who temper your sword, as well as playing the flute in Kakariko Village, freeing a bird from inside the statue. Now, the items are useful to Link's adventure in the game, but they also come with memorable story moments as well. Hyrule is larger this time when compared to the two NES games that came before it. You've got Death Mountain, the Swamp, the Desert, Lake Hylia and the Lost Woods, all classic locations you'd expect to be in a Legend of Zelda adventure. The Lost Woods in particular are a delight, shrouded in mist and fog. When you finally find your way through the opening chapter of the game, you pick up the Master Sword. I love the music, the cute little animals running from side to side to greet you, and also your Master Sword prize. Now at this point, it's probably worth talking about the structure of A Link to the Past. It's got one of the best opening sequences to a game ever. Link starting out in bed, Zelda visiting him in a dream. She says she's trapped in Hyrule Castle with an evil wizard about to kill her. Link then sets off on an adventure to save Zelda from the wizard. Before she's whisked away once again, your first job is to collect three pendants. Once you do this, you can then collect the Master Sword, and then the whole world changes and we're introduced to the Dark World. You know, the hairs on my arms stand up when I start to think about that first moment going into the Dark World. You find a portal on the top of Death Mountain, step in, and everything changes. Suddenly, you aren't Link anymore, you're a creature in a bunny mask. In a strange world where suddenly everything hits harder, does more damage. In that moment we first see the Dark World is up there with getting the Master Sword, and that opening sequence going into Hyrule Castle in the rain, all iconic scenes from A Link to the Past. From the moment to getting into the Dark World, then you have to save seven maidens, complete the dungeons, beat the bosses, and then finally face off against Aghanim and Ganon. The dungeons of the game start simple and incrementally get more difficult over time. We're introduced to a new dungeon mechanic like crystal switching, tiles on the floor and holes in the floor to fall through to new areas. Standard formula for a dungeon is enter, find the keys, the map, the compass and the big key, then also find the dungeon item, then use that item to help solve the puzzles, and then defeat the boss. The bosses range from fairly simple to some are downright impossible. If it wasn't for a few strategically saved fairies in bottles, I wouldn't be here telling you this story. The dungeons are creative, the bosses are tough, but not overly obtuse. Each dungeon took around an hour or maybe just over an hour, and I never really felt stuck. You know, switching up the standard formula later in the game is a dungeon where you have to save a maiden roughly halfway through and have to bomb open a hole in the floor to let the sun shine through and when that sunlight hits the main she turns into the dungeon boss it's an absolute spectacle and one of many in the game. Another aspect of A Link to the Past I love are the secrets. So you've got hidden fairy fountains across Hyrule where you can throw weapons or items into the pond and you're going to get upgraded versions. For example, you could throw in your shield for an upgraded fire shield then again later you do this in the Dark World to get the Silver Arrows and the Golden Sword, two crucial items for defeating Ganon at the end of the game. 
So I love things like finding the mushroom in the forest, taking it to the witch to trade for the magic powder, all the cracks in the walls where Link can place bombs. At one point, there's a huge crack which cannot be opened by anything short of a super bomb. It's really, really satisfying. This is not as obtuse as the first Legend of Zelda game that dropped you into the world, didn't tell you anything, and Nintendo were like, off you go, young one. You know, at least here in A Link to the Past, you've got cracks on the wall to signify there's something there. You know, a Link to the Past builds on the first two Legend of Zelda games, takes what is great about them both and combines them. Nintendo quickly reverted back from the 2D side-scrolling adventure of Link, although it retained the magic meter, some of the sword fighting mechanics, and also some of the items. A Link to the Past takes advantage of the power of the SNES, more complex sprites, great music, more complex enemy AI, and also more enemies on screen. There's so many elements here that would go on to become THE Zelda formula. The music here in the game are where many of the staple Zelda tunes got their start. The formula for finding items in dungeons, using those items, that would stay with the Legend of Zelda series for years. Another element I love about A Link to the Past are the communities that have spawned around it. The speedrunning community, the randomizer community, both are really welcoming and they're really happy that you're playing the game and joining in the community activities. Both features are something I'd love to see Nintendo embrace, but they haven't so far, and it really, really seems like a missed opportunity. So I do want to shout out to the speedrunning community, and also the randomizer community. Really, really appreciate your work. Overall, A Link to the Past is a classic game, and one that still feels great in the modern day. Many games are trying to emulate the greatness of A Link to the Past. Few live up to it, even few of the Zelda series itself. So if you play Breath of the Wild or Skyward Sword and you're interested in The Legend of Zelda, I couldn't recommend A Link to the Past more to find out where the Zelda formula was perfected. So it may have been spawned in the original Legend of Zelda, but it was perfected here in A Link to the Past. Plus there's so much more to enjoy. Well, the game was developed by Nintendo, it was published by Nintendo. It's available on the SNES, also Nintendo Switch Online. It was released on the 21st of November, 1991. Well, that is it for my review of A Link to the Past. Really, really enjoyed playing it through as an adult, as the first time round I played it as a kid. So it's just as magical as when I played it the first time, and I can't recommend it enough to go back and play it for yourself. Well, that is it for A Link to the Past, but next up, let's see what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Okay, first of all, on November the 8th, we got a little to the left. That's on PC and Mac. We've got Football Manager 2023, Xbox Series S Next, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Oddworld Soulstorm, that's coming to Nintendo Switch. And Return to Monkey Island, that's PS5, Xbox Series S and X. We've got Sifu coming to Nintendo Switch. And we've got Sonic Frontiers, that's coming to PS5, Xbox Series S Next, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then on the 9th of November, we've got the big one. It's God of War Ragnarok. That's PS5 and PS4. Then on November the 10th, we've got Vampire Survivors coming to Xbox Series S and X and Xbox One. On the 11th of November, we've got Atari 50, the anniversary celebration. That's the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got Resident Evil 2. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. Also on the 11th, we've got Tactics Ogre Reborn. PS5, PS4, Switch and PC. Also on the 11th, we've got Valkyrie Elysium. That's coming to PC. Then on the 15th of November, we've got Floodlands coming to PC. We've got Pentiment 
coming to the Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. We've got Smurfs Cart, that's coming to Switch. We've got Somerville coming to Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and also PC. We've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge coming to PS5. And we've got Wii's 8, Lacrimosa of Dana, that's PS5. Then on the 16th, we've got Call of Duty Warzone 2, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. We've got Goat Simulator 3, that's on November the 17th, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. Marvel Spider-Man, Mars Morales coming to PC, that is on the 18th of November. And a few more on the 18th, we've got Pokemon Scarlet, Pokemon Violet coming to Nintendo Switch. Resident Evil 3 also coming to Nintendo Switch. And the Dark Pictures Anthology, The Devil in Me, that is coming to the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and also the PC as well. Well, that is going to be it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, then get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Get in contact via Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. Or you can email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. I would really, really love to hear from you. Well, thank you so much for listening. And for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe on YouTube, and also share with a friend. Also, check me out on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. Would really love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really, really help me out. Otherwise, you could check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, and I'll see you really, really soon. Thank you.